the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It all started as some good news, good news indeed, for members of New Harvest Christian Fellowship, the opportunity to acquire a new building to expand their congregation in downtown Salinas, as we hear on this report by Sierra Starks from KSBW. Beverly's may have no plans to relocate after closing its doors in Old Town Salinas, but the church across the street does. It's just the same church moving across the street in order to accommodate for more growth. New Harvest Christian Fellowship Pastor Ignacio Torres says they're in the process of buying the building that once housed Beverly's. We're hoping to close escrow by the first week of February. The city of Salinas is in the process of transforming downtown Salinas into what it hopes will be a destination. To do that, parts of Salinas City Center are on tap for a facelift. That's what Carolyn Magadi says is forcing her to close up shop after 20 years in Old Town. Everybody wants to know, Carolyn, why are you closing? Well, Carolyn's closing because I'm not going to be here when they tear the street up. In its revitalization plan, the city also hopes to attract things like more retail to the area. Pastor Torres says that's also in his plan. We understand uh, with the mixed use, uh, we're going to be offering a section of the building, kind of like a bookstore. We see it as an ongoing win-win situation for the plan because more people in the church actually means more people will be familiar with Old Town Salinas. Sadly, though, apparently the city of Salinas doesn't share that viewpoint. Let's get some details now from constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the <coughs> Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, counselor. Uh, th- this is one once again one of those shocking stories where the city, apparently motivated almost entirely by greed and, and anti-Christian sentiment, I would imagine, is somehow going to deny a local church the ability to use their own building simply because it doesn't play a part in their plan. They want to make a lot of money, and they don't want a church in the middle of it. It's interesting how far we've come, because 50, 60 years ago, having a church in a downtown area and uh, within the center of a, of a vibrant community it used to be considered a wonderful thing. Oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, uh, historically, churches would often be become one of the, the center of town. Uh, so this is a, a definite move in the, the wrong direction. Uh, Salinas, unfortunately, has uh, a history uh, in the past of being hostile to churches in the downtown area. Uh, I know a number of years ago there was a case matter dealing with that, and the church decided just to move on. Uh, this church, though, didn't. This uh, church, New Harvest Christian Fellowship, says this is where we want to minister. This is where we're called to be. Uh, they simply want to move across the street. They already have something on the lower level where they are right now. Um, so it's just an attempt, I think, by the city to uh, try to, to get them um make it more difficult for them to be interacting with people, make it more difficult for some people to be able to attend the services. And But the real goal, without, without a doubt, is, is financial. They want uh, business there. They want tax revenue. They want a property tax revenue. 
this church, if uh, they don't get the city to cooperate, will have to pay a property tax over $11,000, um, which would be uh, outrageous. And we at Pacific Justice, needless to say, have uh, filed this lawsuit on behalf of this church and, and other churches wanting uh, fair treatment pursuant to uh, federal uh, law, the Arlupa statute. Now, for some listening, I'd say, well, you know, the city, let's be honest here, guys, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, revitalize many of these dying downtowns, and after all, who wants some massive megachurch coming in and taking over and, and overshadowing everything that goes on in a downtown business district? Well, let's uh, add some facts to this conversation. The property that they have purchased, Beverly Fabrics, is a 1,400 square, 14, 1,400 square foot building. I mean, that is a, a, a drop in the bucket. I mean, this radio station has got almost 9,000 square feet. I mean, we're five times the size, and what do we do? We do a little radio here. So, <laughs> you know, what, what, what's surprising about all of this is the fact that the, the city has hunkered down here, and, and in fact, there was apparently a quote between a dialogue of a city official that informed the pastor that uh, there was no way that they were going to approve the use uh, as a church there, and essentially said that he was going to be uh, facing a, quote, quote, fierce battle that he could not win. Wow. Now, uh, you, you, you love it when your city fathers say to a local pastor, game on, but that certainly seems to be the attitude here in Salinas. Yeah, and, uh, and the pastor responded, um, making it clear that uh, you know, the city better be ready for a David and Goliath type of a fight. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, because uh, they're, they're very confident. We're very confident. They're in a very strong position. We at Pacific Justice Institute, as you know, uh, Craig, we work hard to get things resolved, and we appeared before the uh, city council, and the uh, you know, we really tried to get this, this resolved. They wouldn't budge. So we had no choice but to file this lawsuit, and um, we're, uh, we're fairly confident that at the end we'll see uh, true justice and, and have this, this church treated fairly and equally and not kept out. Uh, you know, the idea that churches bring blight to communities, we've seen that argument before. We've seen it in San Leandro. We've seen it in, in Dixon, California. Uh, it doesn't, in the end, it doesn't work, um, and courts see right through it. And uh, I think they will in this case. Uh, this is a church that's going to bring people into the downtown. Uh, they buy things just like everyone else, and uh, there's really no r- real uh, reasonable um, rational basis for the treatment that they're receiving. Well, and in that KSWB clip that we played there for you a moment ago, uh, this is before the battle was enjoined, and you hear the pastor saying, oh, we and we're going to be running a bookstore here, too, so there's going to be, you know, activity, people coming in and out. It's not like we're just going to set this thing here, it's going to sit and look like a vacant building. Uh, this is a growing, vibrant church. They need the space because they're growing, and they intend for this to be a community hub, so to speak. Uh, and And for the city of Salinas, how embarrassed, if there's anybody listening from the city council of Salinas right now for some odd reason, how embarrassed you ought to be to even remotely suggest that the presence of a church in, in your precious little downtown area brings blight. Really? So bars and liquor stores and places that sell pornography, that doesn't bring blight, but a church does. Shame on you, Salinas. 
Um, I second that motion. <laughs> so, Sorry yeah, to get a little a little uh, expressive there, but you know th- this after a while becomes just enough is enough. You made reference yeah. to San Leandro, and we all know the the terrible battle that got enjoined several years ago um, by uh, a local church that had purchased some property and uh, and simply wanted to uh, do what they've been doing for years, and that is minister to the uh, the local community. And uh, and Pastor Gary had a huge fight on his hands because the city. Fathers just, uh, you know, they they uh, they didn't want to be good neighbors, and sadly, apparently, I don't know what did some people from San Leandro City Council go down to Salinas and teach them how to be evil? Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, it's it is uh, it is it's, it's a very sad situation. Uh, fortunately, though, we have a solid case law that uh, and federal statutory law that uh, I believe in the end will prevail and. Uh, I think this church will be a fantastic, even a, a, a brighter, shining light uh, in that downtown community. And uh, we at Pacific Justice Institute, as always, look forward to helping those shining lights uh, shine brighter. Well, uh, we appreciate uh, you sharing and standing up on behalf of uh, New Harvest Christian Fellowship. And, and uh, please let uh, uh, Pastor Torres, when you talk to him next or have an opportunity to uh, communicate with him, that uh, fellow believers here in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area are going to be praying for his congregation. And, uh, you know, if the, if the city of Salinas wants to bring it on, okay, baby, bring it on. And uh, let's find out about how that David and Goliath thing ends up working. I just want a little bit of a note to the city of Salinas and the city council. Uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Boom. We appreciate it, Brad Dacus. Thanks for the update. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Greg. All right, take care now. There's Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. I mean, every Christian ought to be concerned when city council says, well, we don't want your church here. You're going to bring blight to the neighborhood. Really? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> 615 traffic next. Michael Bennett. See what's going on out there. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, you've been kind of fascinated at the wild success of the work of J.K. Rowling, who, uh, boy, talk about um, just everything that she did um, touching and becoming gold uh, from the wildly popular series of books, Harry Potter, to the films, and, of course, uh, products and all of that. It had become a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar cottage industry for her, and she never works another day or writes another word in her life. She will be set for many lifetimes to come. But what is behind all of this? Is it simply a uh, fascination with her writing style, or has she struck a chord, t- touched a nerve of baseline interest for so many millions of American children. Dear Mr. Potter, you have been accepted to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Now, while some might consider this to be just fun escapism, is it really? And if we dig down deeper to the entire bigger equation of witchcraft and the occult and things of that sort, we're joined by Christine McGuire. She's the author of a new bestseller called Escaping the Cauldron, Exposing Occult Influences in Everyday Life. And Christine, thanks so much for taking time to be with us tonight. 
Thank you so much for having me on your show, Craig. It's your your journey is a fascinating one in that, as I understand it, you were raised in a pretty normal, traditional Christian family, went to church, did all of that. And then as you got into your teen years, uh, this fascination with matters of witchcraft, the occult, seances, and so forth began to began to kind of flourish. T- take us back through all of that experience, is it, and what led you to make the transition from Christianity into the occult and ultimately back again? Well, actually, um, you're right. I, I did. I was raised uh, in a Christian home. Um, I actually accepted Christ. As my savior, when I was six years old at vacation Bible school, as, as many are, are want to do, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I loved God, loved God. But my interest and fascination with things like ghosts and witches and witchcraft actually started at a very young age um, through playing games, um, not necessarily the Ouija board, but levitation games, like, for instance, one's called uh, Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board, or um, conjuring games called Mary Worst, you know, where you try to conjure a spirit in the mirror by saying its name three times. Um, those kind of interests in games. I, I, my friends and I, we would pretend to be fortune tellers and read palms and things like that. And, and so even as I was learning about God and, and loving God, I was also just drawn and attracted through television programs, books that I read, and games that I played with my friends throughout most of my childhood. Um, it was actually not until I was a teenager that I realized, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, uh, because I, it was the first time I had ever read the Bible on my own, um, because up until then, nobody really said anything to me about it. I think they just thought it was children's games and harmless. And um, so I, I really tried to put that on the back burner and not pay attention to it anymore and really tried to serve God. Um, I got married. I had children. But it wasn't until I was actually in my 30s, um, and my husband and I were going through some difficult times in our marriage, and I was really starting to get frustrated and angry with God because I had gone from having a relationship with Christ to having just this very legalistic religion of Christianity, and, and it became all about rules, and I never seemed to be able to do anything right, and I really felt like God was judging me. Uh, because our life wasn't easy, and I had been told, well, if you're following all the rules, then God's going to bless you, and everything's great, and that wasn't happening. So in, um, I guess it was 1999, I was just so angry with God that I decided I was going to start looking elsewhere um, for my outlet for you know, for uh, mysticism and, and occultism. And I had heard about a, uh, a religion called Wicca, the back in 1995, and uh, in 1999, I decided to jump in feet first, ignore my background, ignore my my upbringing as a Christian, and uh, explore goddess worship through Wicca. You know, it's fascinating about your story. Uh, early on, it begins with a, quite frankly, in unbiblical perspective on Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. All of the relationship completely vacuumed out of it, it seems like simply work-based, 
And, uh, you know, obviously, if you're not doing a perfect job in your works or there are failures in your life, God is withdrawing his hand of blessing and all of a sudden you're you're losing all the benefits, etc., etc. And obviously, that's an extremely distorted viewpoint on Christianity, though a popular one that I think has kind of been uh, fed into by the likes of Word of Faith movement, things of this sort. But it begins exactly. then largely with, with some false understanding about what Christianity really is. And it seems to then, in your life, Christine kind of opened the gateway in some arenas that I think are natural to be curious about. I mean, I have to confess from time to time, if I'm aimlessly pointing the remote control at the television set on a uh, Saturday afternoon, might happen to cross a paranormal program on the pursuit of apparitions or something. And, you know, for a nanosecond or two, you're wondering whether or not the device they're holding will actually find a ghost, or is it just a bunch of, you know, uh, props and hardware? But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I think there's a degree to which that there's a kind of a natural curiosity of the, the quote-unquote unknown, but you kind of st- ultimately stepped over a line here then. Absolutely, absolutely. And once I had crossed that line, you know, I started with Wicca uh, and goddess worship and moved then into what's called traditional witchcraft and then into psychic development, eventually into ghost hunting. The more you tip into that curiosity, the more you're pulled in. So it's kind of like a vortex. It it draws you in deeper. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, all of the beliefs that I had growing up, because I I actually, this strange movement into this legalistic religion really didn't happen until I was an adult. Um, I wasn't raised to believe these things about about the Lord. I wasn't raised to believe these things about about Christian faith. And so, uh, you know, as I as I had put myself into this vacuum, this spiritual vacuum, I was just drawing in anything that, mm. you know, that just seemed to fill that void that I had created by building this this, uh, this legalistic religion. Well, and it's interesting because you, you refer to that vacuum, and I've been long persuaded that a, a lot of the machinations through which mankind goes in an effort to try to have some kind of a connection with the creator, <coughs> creator. and we see this borne out, for example, in a lot of Hindu religion. I mean, mm-hmm. you travel into India, go through a temple, and see just far how far they are willing to go in an effort to try and connect, quote-unquote, with God. I think it's a natural inclination to want to do that. What's unnatural is some of the paths by which we head down in an effort to try and do all of that, sort of to find the um, to find spiritual satisfaction in one's life, and but looking for it in all the wrong places, which is, it sounds like, ultimately what led you down your eight-year journey into the occult. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more I journeyed into that, the more what I believed became kind of twisted up into this very strange theology, I guess you could say it, of, of my own beliefs. I would pick a little bit from here, pick a little bit from there, and yet I still didn't want to give up what I had grown up with, believing about Jesus. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to keep anything that I felt like I didn't like hmm. <laughs> about, about the Christian faith or about doctrine or about the Bible. You know, I, I would pick and choose what I liked from the Bible and discard the rest. And we see a lot of that happening in the church today. Oh, absolutely. Um, on, on either end of the spectrum, to be sure. If you've mm-hmm. just joined our cult influences in everyday life, and as much as we continue to hear her journey, we'll also talk a bit about influences we're seeing in modern-day culture. I've already kind of uh, unleashed the uh, gargantuan question of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling's writings, and whether or not that's simply good, innocent, distractive fun for children, or is there something more behind all of that, too? 
Tell you what we'll do. Let's take a brief time out here. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Christine McGuire, she is a former witch, medium, and a ghost hunter, and the author of a new book called Escaping the Cauldron, Exposing Occult Influences in Everyday Life in San Francisco. Hey, Sammy, come on in with your comment or question for Christine McGuire. Thank you. Ms. McGuire, once I became a Christian, you know, um, I always liked the horror pictures. But once I became a Christian, my my attitude was thinking that I love to see good overcome evil. I was fascinated throughout God. When God came into my life, He just changed me from dark. I, by His grace and mercy, took me from the dark into His marvelous light. Now it seems harmless, Craig Roberts. You said you know a lot of people look at like me maybe look at things that. Might, you might, I might think that it's harmless, but in reality, it's not, huh? Oh, I, I would I would thoroughly agree with you, which, which raises the big question concerning Harry Potter. I know that uh, during the time when the first book started to really rise in popularity, Christine, there was this tremendous backlash by some of us that said, well, now, wait a minute. Do we really want our children to learn how to become witches and warlocks and, and, and goblins and go to the Hogwarts school? Uh, what, what of that issue? Well, um, a lot of people do ask me about the Harry Potter issue, and I think what, what is the crux of the problem there is, do you read the book with your child and explain the nature of good and evil, which, you know, what is witchcraft and what is fantasy, what is, you know, what is true occultism uh, versus fantasy, that type of thing. Um, there was a huge backlash, um, and honestly, I think that did more to propel the books and, and uh, forward and to bring them into the limelight and get everybody interested than than it did to you know to sway people. Um, I, I think what it comes down to is what do you how do you want to introduce these topics to your child? Amen. Um, okay. I, okay. I think people okay. need to know. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, by the grace of God, you know, I, I'm i a minister, and, my, and I, I thank God that my child, we go, we go to church every Sunday. She gets upset when I get sick and can't go. <laughs> but um, like I'm saying, I got to take the attitude that it's not harmless. You know, it, it, uh, it, we don't really don't know how far deep it can go if one, you know, if one is not truly trained or taught, you know, the Word of God. You well, know, and, and, I mean, to be guarded by influential things that, you know, easily suck us in. Well, and what you, even, even as you are explaining some of this, um, I'll take it to, to another extreme here, uh, Sammy. Uh, children, nevertheless, are being attracted to, drawn in by uh, the imagery and the sorcery, and they have very young, immature minds that oftentimes have a difficult time differentiating between what is fact and what is fiction, what is reality and what is not. And I think sometimes as adults, we are too eager to dismiss or write off something as, well, it's simply, quote unquote, harmless fun, not realizing that there are things about this that's attractive to to the spiritual side of a child that it's not yet that well 
developed and oftentimes does not yet have the kind of discernment necessary to tell whether or not this particular arena that's that's creating some fascination and the child begins to explore things deeper, maybe later on in life at their teen years, Christine, as you suggested, that could lead them down a very dark road. I mean, you know, anybody that's been, ever been irrevocably lost uh, on a back roads trip knows that it be typically began with one innocent wrong turn, and all of a sudden you find yourself miles off the main highway, no cell phone service, wondering whether or not you're ever going to get back into, uh, you know, back, back into civilization. Am I right? Absolutely, and that's why I think it's imperative that parents, especially with things like Harry Potter and some of these other things that are out there, because there's a plethora of, of information out there for children uh, in, about the occult, um, they need to discuss these things with their children and let them know what the Bible says about it and explain to them why they wouldn't want them to be engaging in these activities and why it's spiritually harmful. If all we do is say, no, you can't have that book, or no, you can't watch this television, without giving them the spiritual, biblical reason behind it, all they're going to hear is, well, maybe there's something I need to check out on my own about that, you know? I mean, because the more you deny something to someone, the more they're going to tend to want it. Understandably so. All right, Sammy, hope that answers your question. Appreciate your call. We're going to move on next to a Carmen in San Jose. Carmen, come on in with your comment or question for, for Christine McGuire. Welcome. Hi. Alert. Um, you're bringing up Harry Potter and um, the books, uh, but one I've noticed was is Disney. Well, Disney's um, cartoons for the children. There I see also um, things that he's that slipped in, and they make it so innocent, like you were you saying. Um, for little kids to repeat things like um, the cartoon Cinderella, we learn the name of Lucifer right off the bat in that. Well, there was a cartoon that goes back to the 1930s, wasn't it? The Sorcerer's Apprentice uh, that uh, Mickey Mouse uh, was the featured character in. I mean, there there are certainly ways in which even the so-called good and wholesome companies kind of slip this stuff in. And I, and I guess maybe at this juncture there should be a word of balance here. This isn't to suggest that every child, Christine, necessarily is going to head off in this direction uh, all the time. But as you are suggesting from your own life experience, um, when there is education without direction or uh, exposure without direction, uh, it can potentially head into a different direction later on as a child begins on their own when they get into their teen years and beyond exploring these issues uh, without any kind of um, spiritual guidelines. Absolutely, and I and I'm not you know I'm not a a person who advocates you know no fantasy books for children no you know that kind of thing. I I advocate people parents educating their children reading alongside them. And, and explaining what is true, what is fictional, what is uh, spiritual, what is imagination, that type of thing. Yeah. And yeah. there are there are people who are going to be drawn to these things. I was a person who was always going to be drawn to this. Um, 
I, it, perhaps if I'd had someone to talk to me about these things when I was a child, maybe I would not have veered off in that direction. But I think the majority of children who watch a Disney film or even read Harry Potter, the majority of them are not going to be drawn into the occult in the way that I was or in the way that other people are today. But there is, there are those people, those children who it will become a, a seed, a planted in them as a child. And that's why it's so important for parents to be involved with their kids and what they're reading and what they're watching and be willing to talk to them about it from a biblical perspective. When we come back, I want you to share with us, if you would, just how deep you went and then ultimately how you got yourself out. Christine McGuire, our guest, to look at escaping the cauldron, exposing occult influences in everyday life. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation tonight. Christine McGuire, my guest, a look at escaping the cauldron, exposing occult influences in everyday life. Tell us, as you headed down this road, Christine, just how deep did you eventually get? Oh, I was, it was my life. Um, you know, I completely immersed myself in uh, witchcraft and in, in being a medium and eventually a ghost hunter. Everything was viewed through this lens. Um, I even got to a point for, you know, the last couple of years where I called myself a Christian witch um, because I didn't want to give up my Jesus from, you know, childhood. So I created my own trinity of Holy Father, Mother, and Son, but the, the Son, Jesus, was an example of how we could interact with God. And, and, you know, I had five spirit guides that I went to, and God was really just kind of out there approving of everything that I did, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it was it was totally my life, and I was completely comfortable and happy. I thought this was the answer I had been looking for. Um, but you know, the way God is, He uh, you know, the Holy Spirit just never gives up on those who He is calling to Himself, drawing back to Himself. And and uh, so one day He just whacked me upside the head with the truth, and uh, I had to make a decision. And ultimately, I made the right decision of renouncing everything I had done as a witch, a medium, a ghost hunter, everything I was involved in, and rededicated my life to Christ and have not looked back since. How did your friends in all of that, uh, I mean, clearly there must have been friends and associates that you had involved in, in Wicca. How did they respond when suddenly you weren't showing up at the, whatever you have, weekly meetings? I don't know quite what they are. How did they respond? Well, yeah, I was never involved in a coven. I was, okay. a, I was what's called a solitary witch. But I did have uh, friends who were witches and Wiccans. I did have friends who uh, you know, were ghost hunters. I had a ghost hunting team that I worked with and mediums who were friends. Most of them were, were very loving and, and were like, we're glad for you. You found your way. Just don't try to, you know, foist your beliefs on us kind of thing, you know. And, uh, you know, so we had this mutual, you know, parting of the ways, essentially. We're still, you know friends, I, I still, you know, keep in contact with them through things like Facebook, but, um, you know, they, they, most of them were very understanding. There were a few people who were just like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> uh, kind of thing, but, uh, but most of them were really very live and let live. And for Christians, when you tell them your story, what's the typical reaction? I mean, there's a level at which I'm sure there's a shared fascination, to be sure. Do you also find a great degree of people that kind of look at you with a jaundiced eye when you refer to yourself as having been a medium? 
Yes, I do. There, there are some of those who just are like, that's crazy, especially when I tell them I consider myself a Christian, which they're like, you know, that's impossible. And I'm like, you're right, that is impossible, but it didn't stop me from doing it. And it doesn't stop all the other people who are still at this, you know, at this time uh, calling themselves Christian witches and believing themselves uh, to be Christian while they're practicing magic or being mediums or ghost hunters or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've come across some skepticism. I've, I've come across some people who are just, uh, you know, they've told me that they themselves have experienced this kind of fascination and, and were just, uh, they tried to talk to Christians they knew and were completely ignored or rebuffed or uh, just honestly shunned. And uh, we're just so grateful that there was someone they could talk to um, who would be willing to listen to them and pray for them and, and say, no, there is a way out of this. And I think that's the thing that uh, has, has me the most passionate about sharing this, this testimony is that the Church for so long, when it comes to the occult, uh, has just kind of either ignored it or, or just poo-pooed it and thought, oh, that's just silliness. Or, or, or burned them at the stake. <laughs> or burned or them at the stake. Yes. And, uh, and there's still some of that going on today, metaphorically speaking. And uh, it's time for the Church to wake up, smell the coffee, and realize this is a true honest spiritual problem that people there are out there who are gasping for help and are being ignored because people don't believe their story. I guess the irony is that this is a true falsehood and on the surface while that appears to be uh, you know a, a self-canceling uh, observation um, it is a false teaching it is designed to distract you from worshiping with the true God <coughs> pardon me having a relationship with the true God falling in love with Christ, learning more of him, his ways, his word. It is designed to be in a, a, a distraction. And in that, in that sense that it accomplishes that goal or that mission, this is, this is truly a very risky road down which uh, to head. It is. It absolutely is. And I cannot tell you how important it is that people are willing to recognize the truth of this and do something about it. Because one of the things that people contact me about is, or that people find my website on, is they're looking for information about Christian witchcraft, Christian ghost, you know, Christian ghost hunting groups, that kind of thing. They want to be involved in these things because it's interesting, it's mysterious, and it's all over our society right now. It's in our books, our movies, on our TV sets. They want in on it, but they don't know what the Bible says about it, and very few people are willing to talk to them about the truth that God does not want us to go down that road. And again, it, it comes down to the fact that it becomes singularly a distraction from the truth, and along with that can spiral into some very ugly things. I mean, you, you, you suggest of kind of being on the, uh, the saner side of all of this, uh, my word, not yours, but at the end of the day, as we've suggested, uh, there is a slippery slope that oh, yeah. is uh that is inherent to much of this and suddenly you know it suddenly goes from a fascination with the paranormal in pursuit of uh, uh you know bigfoot ufo's ghosts whatever the case might be and then you get deeper and deeper and deeper in and before you know it you get sucked into this vortex that can lead to more dangerous things absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely and i think that people need to understand that truth and just not even go there <laughs> you know just just 
turn the other way. Is, is it helpful, too, to keep in mind here, Christine, that we serve a jealous God, that he's not going to have multiple gods or other gods before him? I mean, I think of ways in which people get involved in, for example, the Earth Movement today has a subset that gets into, uh, you know, paganism and, and certainly you know, uh, Gaia and, and, and uh, worship of the Earth and things of this sort. All of that, again, setting itself up uh, in, in, in contrast against the knowledge of the one true God. Absolutely. God wants us to worship Him and Him alone, and our devotion is to Him and Him alone, not these other things. We are meant to worship the Creator, not the creation. And uh, I, I think that is wherein uh, part of the danger lies, and people need to know who God is and understand that He has called them, He's reaching out to them, but he is not going to abide with us uh, going into these other directions. He will eventually let us go if we continue to seek something other than him. And, and you know, light and dark cannot dwell together. Exactly. So the notion of trying to straddle the fence, as you suggest, and be a Christian witch. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the verses that really finally struck home with me, when I did finally uh, go to the Bible and say, okay, Lord, show me what I need to know, it was from Matthew six twenty two twenty three, and the verses say, Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And that is what had me on the floor, repenting, weeping, and renouncing everything I had been involved in because light and dark do not dwell in the same place, and God is light. When you're interviewed during Halloween, what do you tell people when people call up and say, well, now, wait a minute, uh, Christine, this is just, you know, the ghosts and the goblins. It's just clean fun for the kids. It's one night a year. What possible harm could come from it? What do you say? Well, um, what I tell them is, you know, if they're Christians and they want to reach out to their neighbors, that's awesome. But what they also have to realize is that it is a powerful night, that there are witches and, and occultists and ghost hunters and people out there who are seeking uh, to, to connect the spirit realm, because traditionally it is believed that is one of the most powerful nights uh, for spirit communication. So while you may not um, be taking it seriously, somebody is. Exactly, okay. exactly. And so, uh, you know, if you want to reach out, be a light to your community, that's awesome. But make sure people know that's what you're doing, that you're not just parodying what you're seeing going on around you. Well, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's kind of akin to saying, well, look, this game of Russian roulette, we only use one bullet. What harm could come of it? We've got, you know, five chances out of six. It won't be anything harmless, right? Till the one time the chamber clicks over to the live round. And then the story changes. Christine McGuire, we're pleased to hear that your story changed from a venture from light into darkness and back into the light again. A fascinating page-turning book, one I think that would be worthwhile for every parent out there and just anybody who generally wants to understand uh, the danger of the dark side. A look at escaping the cauldron, exposing occult influences in everyday life. It's author, our guest on this segment of Lifeline, Christine McGuire. And the book, of course, is published by Charisma House and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, 
grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.